Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host. It is November the 23rd, 2018. Uh, Perhaps we should call it Leftover Day. Uh, It's also known, of course, as Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. I hope all of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. There is, with all the problems in America, still so much to be thankful for. I hope it provided you and your families with an opportunity to get together Uh, for a good meal, and the companionship of the people who are close to you in your life. And certainly those are days uh, that I have come to think of as gifts. The idea that we can get together and and share a good meal and share conversation and be with the people who are truly important to us. So I hope it was a good holiday for you yesterday, and today we're back at it. And, of course, as you might imagine, my focus this evening is going to be the caravan of so-called migrants in Mexico. But before we get started, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to welcome any new listeners. And for those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with the program, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent in what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, an agency that was sliced dice chopped up and and reconfigured under the Department of Homeland Security by President George W. Bush, quite frankly, in such a dysfunctional way that rather than enhance immigration law enforcement and border security, it did quite the opposite. And then, of course, we come to the Obama administration, and I will spare you the gory details of that. And here we are finally under President Trump, a president who understands sovereignty, who understands the need for border security, but who is hobbled by the structure of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the fact that the C stands for customs, which has absolutely nothing to do with immigration, speaks volumes to how difficult this is. There's a lack of agents, lack of resources, and a lack of political will by both sides of the political aisle, which we'll get to in a bit, because that lack of will, that desire to leave the borders open by both sides of the aisle, has enticed millions of illegal aliens to enter the United States, many more than the 11 million we've been hearing about. It's yet another lie that has been told again and again and again, the policy of the big lie If you keep telling big lies and you repeat them frequently, people start to think that the lies are the truth, that the illogical, logical reasoning so-called makes sense. And so we are living not in an era of political correctness, but in an era of Orwellian newspeak and propaganda. My program since 9-11, since all of my efforts have been to um, get rid of the nonsense, tell the truth, and try to get everybody to understand the true significance of secure borders and effective immigration law enforcement. And I just want to begin by making a very important point that I think gets lost in the shuffle when you listen to the garbage that's being foisted on us by so many sources. Immigration law enforcement is not anti-immigrant, and it's not about any one race, religion, or ethnicity. Our immigration laws are completely blind to race, religion, and ethnicity. I'm Jewish. My grandmother was slaughtered in the Holocaust. I was named for her. If the immigration laws singled out individuals based on their race or their religion or their ethnicity, I could not have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone for the 30 years that I worked for the former INS. And second of all, it is not anti-immigrant to enforce the laws. In point of fact, It's immigration law enforcement, the immigration mechanism of the government that provides the immigrants with green cards and citizenship and political asylum. So what we're really trying to differentiate, and because of language it's very difficult, is the difference between legal immigration and illegal immigration. 
And I, I was on with uh, Fox and Friends yesterday for a brief uh, supposed discussion that was just three of us making one statement each. I, I don't know. I don't think it qualifies as a discussion. But I, in, in years past, was a frequent guest on Fox News. I'm always delighted to be on their program. But everyone always focuses on, we have a legal system and the aliens are coming illegally or violating it. Yes, that's true. And it's not nice and it might be frustrating, but that's not the issue. That really isn't the issue. This isn't like getting into the movies when we were kids and, and the school thugs would sneak into the front of the line and, and not pay. They'd go in the side door and we'd be upset that we had to pay and they didn't and they got the best seats and so forth. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not the way to come to a country or enter someone's home either, for that matter. I would argue it's trespassing. But there's far more involved, and that's what I've been writing about for both Front Page Magazine, FrontPageMag.com, and TheSocialContract.com. <clears throat> the immigration laws, the vetting process at ports of entry is geared, supposedly, and it's not, because nearly a half million aliens who are legally admitted violate the terms of their admission, their lawful admission, and overstay visas, work without permission, and so forth. So clearly, again, that's not working efficiently, but it's another failure by design. But at least in theory, the vetting process does two things. It creates a record of entry of the alien, so we have their fingerprints, their photographs, and biographical data on file. <clears throat> and it's also supposed to prevent the entry of aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases or are severely mentally ill. Let's remember Ellis Island was a quarantine station. We're supposed to keep out criminals, human traffickers, drug smugglers, gangbangers, arsonists, rapists, sex offenders. Are, uh, we can go down the list. Spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice. Those are people to be kept out of the United States. And finally, we get the aliens who were previously deported, aliens who have committed fraud and visa applications, and aliens who would likely become a public charge because they don't have the wherewithal to support themselves, and non-immigrant aliens who, if they worked, would be displacing American workers, causing them to lose their jobs, or at the very least, flooding the market with cheap labor. So because of supply and demand, that would then drive down wages and working conditions for Americans. Very simple, very clear, very straightforward. Very common sense. Very common sense. But where does common sense enter anything in this country today? <clears throat> it's almost as though uh, America is kind of like that company that was taken over by the children of a very successful businessman who built an empire on his good name, and then the kids come along and trash it. I remember I bought a a car up in Westchester here in New York, and I won't mention the name of the dealership. The father worked his whole life to build up an automotive empire, a small empire, but he had several makes and models under his showroom floor. He was a revered member of the community. I don't recall if he passed away or he retired, and he passed the baton to his kids. And within two or three years, the kids ran the company into the ground, trampled the good family name, which was the name of the dealership, and they lost their business license because of unscrupulous, crooked practices. I, I look at America, and I think of the adults who preceded the current crap, uh, crop of political so-called leaders, and that was uh, not just a Freudian slip, that was intentional, uh, Eisenhower and, and Truman, both sides of the aisle. These were leaders. They put America and Americans first, and everyone expected it of them. And look at what we've gotten. And I know that my, my friends on the conservative side will be upset, but even Ronald Reagan was a globalist. He gave us the first amnesty, gave us the visa waiver program included in the amnesty, a provision so that we could not share amnesty files with any other law enforcement agencies, which did two things. It became an open invitation to visa fraud and immigration fraud, two issues identified by the 9-11 Commission as the key methods of entry and embedding of the terrorists, and it also made it difficult to share intelligence with other agencies so that we could work effectively together. Why in the world you would include that kind of confidentiality provision beats the heck out of me, but thank you, Mr. President. And he never hired more agents when he passed comprehensive reform, when he signed it into law, it wasn't comprehensive, it was called the Immigration Reform and Control Act, the earlier equivalent to what is now, I call it jokingly referred to as comprehensive reform. 
They tasked immigration agents with going after unscrupulous employers who would hire illegal aliens. And I'm all for it. We all were. Because up until then, the aliens could be arrested. The employers could not be arrested unless they were doing other things like harboring and shielding and transporting and so forth, kind of like what sanctuary cities do in this insane era. Okay? But that meant lots more work, and we didn't have enough agents to begin with, which is how we wound up with the millions of illegal aliens that, that inspired the Immigration Reform and Control Act. Well, we didn't hire any more agents. That was the end of that. So both parties have done this to us, and unless we're willing to accept that the Democrats and the Republicans are in bed together flooding America with cheap labor, we're not going to solve this problem because we're not going to hold those responsible accountable. And I know that when people respond to my articles, especially in Front Page Magazine, usually there's a lot of venom towards the Democrats. Uh, full disclosure, I'm registered as a Democrat. I, of course, I can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat <clears throat> because the people that call themselves Democrats in politics now, for the most part, are not Democrats. Maybe on the local level in some town, there's truly a mayor, governor, city councilman who believes in and what the old Democratic Party believed in, and so I don't want to drag their name through the mud, the sludge, the cesspool. It's not a swamp in Washington. It's a cesspool. You know, everyone keeps saying the swamp. Folks, a swamp is an important part of the ecosystem, of the biological, the biome. You know, critters live in the swamp, and the swamp is an important part of, of that biological system that we call planet Earth. And um, so it, it's normal. It's natural. It's it has a part in nature. Washington and the political process has become a cesspool. A cesspool is a, uh, an artificial creation, and I can assure you there's nothing good to be found in a cesspool, okay? So I don't call Washington and, and this whole business a swamp. I call it a cesspool. And, and, and so you have politicians from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party who really agree on immigration. That's why they had bipartisan support, the eight gangsters, because for different reasons, perhaps, and in some cases, the same reasons. They want to pander to the people that write their bribes, which is what campaign contributions are. They're bribes. When I was a federal agent, I was not allowed to accept anything other than perhaps a glass of ice water. We were instructed that if we went to someone's house, not because they were the target of an investigation, but perhaps they knew the person. Perhaps they were a neighbor down the block, and we were trying to get information from them, and we would knock on the door and introduce ourselves. I'd say, my name is Mike Cutler. I'm an INS special agent. I'd like to speak to you about Charlie Smith who lives down the block from you. And they might invite us in. They might not. If they didn't, so be it. But the point was, if they invited us in, very often people would say, hey, you caught us just at the right time. We're just having some coffee and cake. Why don't you join us? If I had accepted the coffee and cake, if Internal Affairs was aware of it, they would open an investigation. We were not allowed to say, thank you, we'll have some. What we were supposed to say is, thank you, but ice water would be perfect. Because the idea is to hold the public at arm's length. They're not supposed to think that federal agents are their personal friends, unless we're talking about your off-duty life. But in an official capacity, you knock on that door, there were two Mike Cutlers, and no, I wasn't schizophrenic. I didn't suffer from multiple personality disorder. It's that there was a private Mike Cutler, the guy that took his kids to school and, and mowed the lawn and, and did the dishes, and then there was a special agent, Mike Cutler, and you always had to know which one you were given the circumstances. So we were not allowed to accept anything from anybody because the idea, as one of my bosses, Frank Johnson, used to say, and he was right, as federal agents, it's not enough to not engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And now you have the politicians taking with both hands. How many emails do you get? We need money. We're running against this bum, and they're outspending us, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. Money, money, money. We need money. We'll give you the 10 o'clock tonight to send in the check to, to click on this and to money. Imagine if I went to work and did that. Imagine if the cop on the beat did that. Good afternoon, officer. Good afternoon, sir. Can I have some money, please? Are you crazy? This is what this has turned into. And when you look at the vast amounts of money that are needed to win a campaign, especially on the federal level, especially in major population centers, it would leave your head reeling. 
And if someone gives a candidate $100 for a campaign, they're not expecting a return. But when they are writing checks for thousands and thousands of dollars, you better believe that they're expecting something in exchange for that money. And you better believe they're getting it. You better believe they're getting it. So we've had globalist politicians who are thrilled with the idea of flooding America with cheap foreign labor. This is an exploitive relationship. Exploitation is not compassion. It's not just the illegal aliens, by the way, that are doing the physically dangerous, demanding, and backbreaking work, but it's even with the H-1B visa program, another source of corruption of our government. You know, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. Really? We have a name for the world's best and brightest, folks. Where I come from, we call the world's best and brightest Americans. Yes, Americans. I don't care about your race, your religion, or your ethnicity. That's superficial. We as Americans need to stand together. What we are witnessing is a divide and conquer strategy by the enemies of our country and the enemies of our fellow Americans. Divide and conquer. Let's have the Democrats fight with the Republicans, and while they're busy fighting with each other, we'll steal their wallets and, in some cases, maybe even put their very lives at risk. That's the name of the game, because the power brokers want that cheap labor. The power brokers want to flood American universities with foreign students. The power brokers, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, wants to flood America with tourists. And let's remember the immigration lawyers out there. People like Zoe Lofgren, Democrat, Bob Goodlatte, Republican, they are immigration lawyers. Let that sink in. So when they see masses of aliens entering the United States, they do not see a problem, folks. They see clients. That's what they're seeing. And Bob Goodlatte is leaving Congress in January, where I presume he will resume his prior career as an immigration attorney. So please understand why the immigration crisis has never been solved but only gets worse. It's about creating the illusion that they are trying to address the problems, but they throw their hands up and say, oh, my gosh, there's just too many of those illegal aliens. Oh, my gosh, they can't even say that today, the undocumented immigrants. So the best we can do is give them lawful status. The best we can do is flood the waiting rooms of immigration lawyers. That's what they're saying. Think about it. Do you hear this argument in any other area of law enforcement? When was the last time a mayor or a governor or a chief of police got up in front of the cameras and said, folks, there's just too many people who have driver's licenses and cell phones, so we can't do anything about people who talk on their phones while driving or, worse yet, text while driving. There's just too many of them. We can't do anything about it. So we'll figure some other way out of dealing with the problem because we're overwhelmed. You've never heard that. Have you ever heard people say in authority, oh, there's so many people who like to drink and they have driver's licenses. What can we do about it? We're stuck. Get used to carnage. Get used to dead bodies getting laying in the street when hit and runs occur. We've never heard that. When there was a real big problem with drunk driving, a bunch of things were done to turn things around. First of all, when I was a kid, drunk driving was seen as a joke. It was the punchline. I remember watching uh, the late John Wayne on the late Johnny Carson. Boy, they're all late, aren't they? (laughs) Time keeps on moving, and you realize just how fragile and temporary life is, something to always keep in the back of your head to be appreciative of the good days and to realize that with limited time, we have limited opportunities to make a meaningful change in this world for our children and for their children. But I remember Johnny Carson hosting John Wayne on the Tonight Show, and Wayne, who was a larger-than-life character, very popular actor, very well-loved by America and, uh, and the American people, was joking about some party he had gone to, and he said in that John Wayne kind of swagger voice, You know, Johnny, I was at that party and I had so much to drink when I got in the elevator, I couldn't figure out what button to push. But somehow I got to my car and God must have been my co-pilot because I have no idea how I drove home. And the next morning I walked around my car to make sure I didn't bang it up. And the audience was hysterical. They were howling. 
How in the world is drunk driving funny? Thousands of people die each year because of people driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Not funny. But back then, it was. Back then, people thought it was hilarious. And everybody laughed themselves silly. And they were silly and worse. Over time, perceptions about drunk driving were changed by some adults. And they said, wait a minute. People get killed. People get maimed. Terrible things happen. This isn't a joke. Let's address drunk driving. So what they did was they lowered the acceptable blood alcohol level. In places, I believe, like New York, it was 1.0. They lowered it to 0.08. And they imposed strict penalties for anybody caught driving drunk. Suddenly, if you were caught driving drunk, you could lose your license. You could lose your car. You could lose your bank book. You could lose your freedom. They established sobriety checkpoints. They, of course, meaning our political authorities and law enforcement officials. They also engaged in a massive public relations campaign to make it clear that it's not cool to be driving drunk. And they also made it clear that if you get behind the wheel and you're drunk, we will find you. I don't care how many people are out there. We are going to find you in particular. We are going to pull you out of that seat. We are going to take your car and your license and your wallet and your freedom. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. We're going to find you. We're going to get you. You can run, but you can't hide. And it was a steady drumbeat. And guess what happened over time? Fewer and fewer people drive, drove drunk. Now, look, if they were looking at immigration as the role model, what they really would have done with drunk driving is they would have raised the legal limit to 3.0. Now, there's a reason I say this. Because I don't believe, and I'm not a doctor, I don't even play one on TV, but I don't believe you can remain upright if you have a 3.0 blood alcohol level. So you couldn't be behind the wheel. So then, after you change the law, you could issue a press statement that says, since we changed the law and got tough, we haven't had a single fatality related to a legally drunk driver. Of course not. At 3.0, they're unconscious. But the people with the 2.0 blood alcohol are still able to drive, and they'd be killing people left and right. But by manipulating that one number, you could lay claim that legally drunk drivers were no longer killing anybody or hurting anybody or having accidents. And you'd say that's pretty stupid, and it would be, but that's how we handle immigration. Stop and think about it. We're told we can't deport them all. The only way to get rid of illegal immigration is to legalize everyone who's here illegally. That's the equivalent of giving, of raising the blood alcohol level to 3.0. It's not getting rid of the illegal aliens. It's just redefining who the individual is so that they no longer qualify as aliens illegally present in the United States. Of course, they didn't do it. Different pressure was being applied by different special interest groups. But this is the kind of betrayal that we're facing. When aliens run our borders, they are evading an inspections process that, as I mentioned before, is supposed to keep bad guys out of the country, people who pose a threat. By the way, if you want to look at the section of law, it's Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, or under the administrative section of law, it's under Section 212 of the Administrative Code of the Immigration and Nationality Act, and it enumerates all the categories. So here's the interesting thing. Chuck Schumer, a few years ago, recommended the creation of a law that would have called for putting people in jail for five years if they are caught trespassing on critical infrastructure or national landmarks. He said that in New York City, for example, we had people climbing the Manhattan Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, unfurling uh, PLO flags and all kinds of other crazy stuff. We had one kid climb the new World Trade Center, the Freedom Tower, while it was under construction. And Schumer then said, we need a new federal law, what else, that puts these people in jail for up to five years. Now, here is a segment, an excerpt from the statement that Schumer put on his website about the dangers of trespassing. Let me read this to you, and I want you to see something. He said this, with terror threats at a high It must be made loud and clear to any would-be trespassers, adrenaline junkies, or potential criminals that the federal government and the NYPD take trespassing on critical infrastructure 
and national monuments very seriously. A law that makes this a federal crime and raises the current maximum jail time from one to five years would help to deter this behavior and provide the NYPD with, a strong, with stronger tools to combat this disturbing trend. So understand what he said. It's not if you're a terrorist or a convicted felon. If you're an adrenaline junkie and you want to climb some building or whatever, we're going to put you in jail for five years. We're going to put your rear end in a cage. Adrenaline junkie. Okay? Don't have to be a known criminal. Don't have to be a documented convict, ex-con. If you're an adrenaline junkie, you do something stupid, we're going to get you. We're going to put you in jail. And we're going to do it so that more people don't do it. I would argue that aliens who run the borders of the United States are trespassers, and I don't think anybody out there capable of fogging a mirror would disagree with me. It's an act, at least, of trespass. The same Chuck Schumer, the same Chuck Schumer, who says that trespassing ought to put people in jail for five years, says that when aliens trespass on America, folks, incredibly, they've earned a path to the keys to the kingdom, United States citizenship. The disconnect blows my mind. It should infuriate everybody in this country. How can you think that you need to punish people who trespass on critical infrastructure and even landmarks, landmarks, even if you're not a criminal, no criminal history, you're an adrenaline junkie, you're a fool, you're an idiot, you're a clown, you're a bozo. We're going to get you five years in jail for you. But the same Chuck Schumer said, that when America is trespassed upon, again, with that risk of terrorism, very clear, we're not going to not only act against you, we will reward that behavior with a pathway to United States citizenship. Have we lost our minds? Am I getting this wrong, folks? So why in the world do you think you have all these aliens massing in Tijuana, and we don't know that they're only from Central America? We don't. And if you go to Front Page Mag, you will see my articles because I lay out why my concern is that Iran may have a role to play in all of this because there have been a succession of congressional hearings where it's been disclosed that Hezbollah and Hamas operating under the banner of Iran, Iran sponsors them, pays for them, trains them, equips them. There's hundreds of thousands of members of those organizations, plus Iranian shock troops that fly in routinely to Caracas, Venezuela that they are now working in close coordination with human and and drug smugglers in Latin America, pumping huge quantities of narcotics into the United States to destabilize America, to destroy American lives, to increase crime, because they see us as their enemy. And think of what is now going on because of that lousy nuclear deal that Obama entered into that the Trump administration has decided to back away from because it was a terrible deal. And Iran has said, we're going to get even. We have a surprise for you. So when you look at all that, it's reasonable to assume that Iran may well be involved with that caravan. All we're hearing from the media is poor people from Central America, poor people from Central America. That is all that they're willing to describe them as being. They're just poor people from Central America. By the way, poverty is not a reason to give somebody asylum. By the standard of poverty, we ought to be admitting half the world. Half the six and a half billion people or seven billion people have lost count. Uh, so, so this is the madness. The potential exists that among those people, and we saw this in Europe, didn't we, with the refugee flows, members of ISIS. And look at the tactic where this caravan so-called is concerned. Who is at the front of the caravan? Women and children. Why? Because if there is a conflict, if there is violence, then the women and children are injured or killed, and then these wackaloons, these thugs, these terrorists will have dead bodies of babies to wave in front of cameras and say, they did it, they are evil. They are happy to use dead children, even their own, for publicity to achieve a political goal. And suddenly here we are in Latin America with the women and children being pushed to the front of the line. We've never seen this done that way before. This is a Middle Eastern tactic. And if you look at the testimony of the experts on what is happening in Latin America with Hezbollah and Iran involvement and so forth, this is a very real possibility. So the president looks at this and says, okay, we can't allow this to happen. 
And all that we're hearing is the president doesn't care about poor people. The president is a liar. Bill Maher, big on, president is a liar. Hey, Bill Maher, why don't you read some congressional testimony if you still remember how to read? Same thing for the bovines on the, on the view, accusing the president of being a liar. They don't have access to the morning briefing that he gets from the intelligence services. And I assure you that there are concerns within the government that terrorists as well as criminals and fugitives have embedded themselves within the ranks of the caravan. And let's even think about the caravan. Why are so many people eager to come to America? Because the economic situation in Latin and Central America is, for the most part, abysmal. It's abysmal. Communism in Venezuela destroyed that country. That country has wonderful resources, wonderful people. It's a failed state. Communism doesn't work. I I want you to think of something, by the way, when you have discussions with your kids and they really weren't taught about communism. Here's something to think about. I, I think this works. In nature, there's only two basic ways that we can motivate people to do what's needed. The same way we can only motivate beasts of burden and our, and our pet dogs and so forth. It's the idea of the carrot or the stick. The carrot is a reward for hard work, and the stick is the threat of something negative if you don't do what you're told. And under communism, you can't get more money for doing your job because it's two each according to his needs, some each according to his ability. So basically there are no carrots. There are no carrots. They try to give everybody the same amount of revenue, the same amount of income. That's what Alan Greenspan was striving for when he testified for Chuck Schumer on April 30th, 2009, referred to American high-tech workers as the privileged elite, and said that they were being paid too much money, what he called the wage premium, because they were being shielded from foreign competition. Of course they were. The Labor Department used to run immigration. And that goes back to the days of the Depression and, and, and FDR. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, we wanted to make sure that every job possible was held by an American to try to lift Americans out of poverty of the Great Depression. So they put it under the Labor Department to make sure that foreign workers wouldn't take Americans' jobs. But Greenspan says, oh, no, no, we need to make Americans compete with foreign workers. Bring in lots and lots and lots of foreign workers, and because of the wage pricing mechanism of competition, especially for the third world, you can get rid of that wage premium we're paying to the high-tech workers, and then we can head towards wage equality, wage equality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. It's communism. So there's no longer a carrot. We're going to cut your wage. That's not a carrot. Well, what's the other way that you get motivated? The stick. And boy, oh, boy, are the communists and totalitarians good at the stick. Joe Stalin, Joseph Stalin killed millions, tens of millions of Russians to keep them in line and to get control over them. The ultimate control freak, you see. The Second Amendment is important for two reasons. Not just to protect us from the criminals, but to protect us from tyranny. So you have Joseph Stalin killing millions of his own people so that he could have power. It's sociopathic. And that's the two ways of motivating people. In capitalism, true capitalism, which we don't even see anymore, now we have crony capitalism and, uh, and, and a rigged system. But the idea in capitalism is you study hard, you work hard, you get a good education, you put in longer hours, you make more money, you buy a better house, uh, you make some good investments, and, and you live a better life. So that's the carrot. There are no carrots under communism. There are carrots under capitalism. That's essentially the difference. So communism is roaring through countries in Latin America. And when you have poverty, you have opportunities for recruiting terrorists, opportunities for recruiting people to do the things you want them to do so they can eat and their children can eat. Desperate people will take desperate measures. Women turn to prostitution as a last resort in some situations. Because they're starving. What do they do? And and if you look throughout the world, people commit crime. They go to prostitution. They sell drugs. They do whatever they have to do out of desperation because they don't know what else to do. They don't have any other ways of dealing with it. And very often, aliens will run the border, head for the United States because they're living in abject poverty. And when we let them in, we are allowing them to, to, we're using America as a safety valve for regimes that ought not be allowed to get away with the garbage they're getting away with. 
If you really want to be compassionate, you don't allow people to come to America to be exploited and drive down everybody's wages. That's not compassion. Compassion would be to get those regimes in the other countries to straighten out and fly right and work with them so that their people don't come to the United States seeking a better life. Mexico's people are hardworking, they're conscientious, they're decent people. Mexico has lots of resources, including petroleum reserves. So why is there so much poverty in Mexico? Because of the corruption of the Mexican government and the economic system. It's an oligarchy, and America is rapidly becoming an oligarchy. Instead of America being the role model for Mexico, folks, Mexico has become America's role model. But, of course, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer won't admit it. But that's what they're looking at with envy. If we could only turn America into Mexico. This is madness. We've never seen this before, but we're sure as hell seeing it now. Chuck Schumer understands the danger of trespassing. He articulated it so well on his very own website, as long as it doesn't apply to America, but only critical infrastructure and national landmarks, you see. And along comes a judge from the Ninth Circus, not a Freudian slip, circus, not circuit, circus. We used to call it that at work. And he says the president has no right to impose any restrictions on aliens who come to America and want political asylum. Really? So when people sneak into the United States hoping to not get caught by the Border Patrol, when they are caught and they yell, political asylum, we're supposed to say, okay. They're using political asylum as a backup to sneaking past the Border Patrol. They're trying to trespass, but their fallback is if they get caught, then they're going to say political asylum. And President Trump rightfully says, hey, listen, if you want to come to America and claim asylum, and most of the applications are bogus, they're nonsense, they're BS, and many times once we allow them to proceed into America, they drop their applications and they never again pursue them because it's bogus. They, you know, the idea of political asylum is for aliens who have a credible fear that they face persecution or worse because of race, religion, ethnicity, tribal affiliation, or political beliefs, that sort of thing. That makes sense. Poverty is not a ground for it. And if you look at the people who were interviewed by the media, why are you coming to America? I'm living in poverty. Why are you coming to America? I need a job. Why are you coming to America? I used to have a store. I lost the store. I'm broke. I need to feed my children. Folks, that's not grounds for asylum. There were people that have been interviewed. In fact, I was on with Dana Loesch, and I mentioned this last week. Dana Loesch ran a video before my segment with her began where some guy actually had the chutzpah when asked why he was coming to America to say he was coming for a pardon. He wanted to be pardoned because he had been convicted of attempted murder in the third degree. If he sets foot on American soil, he's committing a felony that carries a 20-year maximum jail sentence. I worked with Al D'Amato to create that law back in the 80s. It's a felony. And the media says, oh, he's just desperate to be back in America. Some other woman said, I was deported, but I'm coming back because I love America. Some other guy said, yes, they deported me, but I'm going to come back anyway. By what authority? And the media downplays all of this, and President Trump looks at all of this. And again, as I've mentioned in the past, the backdrop for this is the ongoing criminal trial against Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, the alleged leader of the Sinaloa Mexican drug cartel in Brooklyn. He is alleged to have moved over 200 tons of cocaine across the U.S.-Mexican border. He has also moved meth. He's moved heroin. He's moved marijuana. And yet you can't get the political parties from either side to build a wall to protect us from the gangs, to protect us from the drugs, to protect us from the violence. The Democrats jump up and down. We've got to get the guns off the street. We've got to get the guns off the street. Making guns illegal won't get them off the street. This isn't the magic wand. You don't raise your arms and then the guns will go vanish. And by the way, if they can do that, I'll sign up for it. I will forfeit my own firearms. I have a carry permit. I will forfeit my guns if there's a way to magically make all the guns disappear. That's not about to happen. 
There's no way to make it happen. The reality is that bad guys and crazy people will ultimately get their hands on firearms. And by the way, we still come back with the problem of tyranny. And there's certainly no magic wand you can wave to deal with tyranny, is there? So the problem is that we have to be concerned um, about getting the criminals off the street. And yet Nancy Pelosi stands with MS-13 over the president. When the president called MS-13 animals, she was offended. In a way, I was too, because I like animals. MS-13 are among the most vicious, pernicious, and sociopathic individuals that the human species has ever produced. They rape and kill and dismember children. And who are they doing it to primarily? The members of the ethnic immigrant Latino community. So how is it anti-immigrant to want to get the gangsters out of the immigrant communities? These are the lies we keep getting told again and again and again and again, and they repeat these lies, and enough dummy Americans fall for the lies. It's not anti-immigrant to go after the bad guys who live within the ethnic immigrant communities. It's not just the Latino uh, community either. And that's because human nature is human nature. There are criminals in every race, every religion, every ethnicity. Just as we all bleed red, every group of, of human beings are capable of being good, bad, or ugly. And we've seen it again and again. And our immigration laws are designed not to keep people of a particular race out of the country, but people who would do harm to us out of the country. The Congress has a sergeant at arms. Bars have bouncers, okay? But America, if these idiots had their way, would have no means of protecting itself. It makes no sense. But the Republicans are only marginally better. The Democrats, at least, are telling you the truth. We want to end immigration law enforcement. We want to get rid of ICE. I'm sure they want to get rid of the Border Patrol also, which would leave us at the mercy of Iran and terrorism and narco-terrorists and China and, and Russia. You can't defend a country without a secure border. You can't protect your family without locks on your doors that you close at night. What's the likelihood that you would be safe if I came to your house and insisted that you took your back and front doors off your house and you could not replace those doors? They've got to be left wide open. What's the likelihood... That, that any of your possessions would stay in your house or that criminals wouldn't come in and mug you in your own house. That's what we're trying to protect America from. And a judge comes along and says, the president doesn't have that authority. Congress was clear. This is what he has to do. Well, the judge didn't bother reading two things or three things. One thing the judge should have read is the U.S. Constitution. Because Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution protects the state's from invasion. The federal government is supposed to protect the states from invasion and domestic violence. I would argue that people flooding across the border constitute an invasion. When I was on Fox and Friends, um, they asked me about all of this. And, you know, you, you try to give them a meaningful answer in under one minute. It's kind of difficult. But I compared this mob, the caravan, to being hit by a snowball during a blizzard. And we've all been there. You're out mowing, you're in the mowing, goodness gracious. <laughs> you're out there plowing your driveway and, and someone hits, hits you with a snowball, you'll notice the snowball. The driveway is filled to the top. We have millions and millions of illegal aliens, but just a few thousand aliens have caught our attention because they are concentrated at one place at one time and appear to be highly organized. So they are the equivalent, to my thinking, of the snowball. So it's caught everyone's attention, and it's highlighted what a risk we face. But please understand something, folks. If you remember after the terrorist attacks, we repeatedly were told that in order to be successful, the terrorists only have to be right once, and for us to be safe, our people have to be right 100% of the time. What does that really mean? What it really means Every single alien who manages to enter the United States, legally or illegally, provides terrorists with that one opportunity they're looking for to get their operatives into the country so that they can carry out an attack. That's what it means. And so the president understands that. 
And it's funny because um, I, when I went to Fox, I was speaking to the driver of the limo that picked me up, and he said, boy, oh, boy, I don't like Donald Trump. I said, what's wrong with the president? Oh, my God, do you ever hear him speak? I said, yeah, and I'm a guy who has a degree in communications, arts, and sciences. I call it my BA and BS. And sometimes I do cringe because sometimes I really wish that the president used more nuanced language. But the thing of the matter is I relate to the way that he speaks. And the reason I do that is my dad was a construction worker. He was a tradesman, a plumber. And he worked on the World's Fair, and he worked on John F. Kennedy International Airport. He worked on apartment buildings, and he worked on private houses doing construction. So as you might imagine, most of my dad's friends were members of the building trades. Donald Trump is a product of the building trade. Now, he was the boss, not a, not a union guy like my dad was. But the point of the matter is that's his element. So even though he went to Wharton, which is a very exclusive business school, in his day-to-day life, Donald Trump was out there with all these hardworking construction workers who are some of the ballsiest men you're ever going to meet. They are hardworking. They're conscientious. They're honest. To them, no job is too difficult, too dirty, too backbreaking. It's a day's work. They're tough guys. They really are. And my dad will always be my biggest hero right along with my mom because he'd go off to work. It could have been five degrees outside or 105. He could have been sick as a dog. didn't matter. I literally carried my father off his job at the end of his life when he was dying of lung cancer, in part because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War and he was exposed to asbestos. And many of his friends were very much like that. They went out there, whether they were well or sick, and they put in a hard day's work to get that paycheck. And that's what Donald Trump sounds like. He might be a billionaire, but that was the the environment that he grew up in with his father and, and so forth. And so, yes, his language isn't nuanced, and I wish it was. My mom used to say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. But he's the first president, perhaps since Eisenhower or JFK, who understands sovereignty, who understands the importance of secure borders, who understands that China has been taking us to the cleaners and he's trying to finally do something about it. How in the world China got most favored trade status is beyond me. They hack our computers every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. And last year, we admitted 152,000 Chinese STEM students into the United States, science, technology, engineering, and math. We are training their programmers that then go and hack our computers. They've built artificial illegal islands in the South China Sea. They've militarized them, and we're training their engineers who did this. And then we let these people get optional practical training in American companies, some of which do military contracts. And they commit espionage against us so routinely that the American intelligence services have sarcastically come to refer to Chinese espionage as Chinese takeout. And Trump is looking at all of this and scratching his head and saying, what the hell are you idiots doing? Why would we do this to ourselves? These folks are self-inflicted wounds. And we finally have a president who wants to bring it to a screeching halt. And, of course, the globalists from both parties detest the president. But, you see, this globalism is what has driven millions upon millions of illegal aliens into the United States over the past several decades. It's the words and motions of the globalists that are responsible for the caravan. These folks wouldn't be coming here if they knew they couldn't get in. They're coming here with an expectation that sooner or later they'll get in, and once they're in, when they play that game of hide-and-seek, there's nobody to seek, and they're right. We have 6,000 ICE agents for the entire United States of America, 6,000. More than half of them are being tied up with non-immigration law enforcement responsibilities. They're investigating kiddie porn, by the way, Anybody who can be involved in kiddie porn needs a surgical transformation and and a long, 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 long time to think it over in solitary confinement in a jail cell somewhere, okay? But why are you using ICE agents when postal inspectors and local police and state police and FBI can conduct investigations into kiddie porn? 
ICE agents are involved with looking for people who commit intellectual property crimes, people that make counterfeit Gucci locas. I'm more worried about people who manufacture counterfeit passports. So aliens know that if they violate our borders and they violate our laws, in that game of hide and seek, no one's going to seek for them because we don't have the resources. And that's because both political parties understand this. Both political parties were very careful to never hire ICE agents. Because if you hire ICE agents, then they will know if people are hiring illegal aliens. And now it's my understanding. I was watching Graham Ledger. I was on a show last week. In fact, I love being on with Graham. They brought in a congressman who said that Bob Goodlatte and, and the Republicans are trying to get immigration laws passed that would make mandatory, make E-Verify mandatory. Mandatory E-Verify is a good thing. And bring in lots of agricultural workers. But if it's the same bill that I saw last year, and I have to go check it out, but if it is, there won't be any more immigration agents. And mandatory E-Verify without more agents is worthless. It's like declaring that we're going to lower the speed limits on the highways, but there'll be no cops out there with radar guns to find people who are speeding. If you don't hire more agents, people that want to hire illegal aliens, hire them off the books. So on paper, everything looks honky-dory. When you walk into the factory, you find out that there's 300 people working there who are not on the books. And we used to find this all the time. You'd have two sets of time cards, or maybe time cards only for the legal workers. So there's 312 people on a factory floor and 41 time cards on the wall. All the other people shouldn't be here, and they don't exist on paper. So if all you're doing is mandatory E-Verify without doing the field investigation, on paper they look like a model company. By not hiring the agents, the crimes don't get discovered, the employers don't get punished and illegal aliens continue to work. And, of course, they ultimately will go to immigration lawyers looking for some immigration benefits, and that makes the immigration lawyers very happy. Why chase ambulances when the coyotes can deliver to you that which you need, a room of clients? This is the game that's been played on Americans for decades. Immigration has become the most efficient delivery system this side of FedEx and UPS. And that's why there are aliens in Latin America trying to come to America, because the expectation is that sooner or later, between the judges and the lack of resources and zero political will other than that exhibited by the president, they will get in and they will succeed. And I will tell you, if they do get in and if they do succeed, it's over. Because the caravan will become a routine way of coming to America. In fact, right now, the people of Mexico are screaming bloody murder, and they're demanding that they go back to Honduras or wherever they came from. But tonight, CBS News is reporting that Tijuana is overwhelmed as even more, quote-unquote, migrants pour into Tijuana, hoping to enter the United States. And claiming political asylum fraudulently is not how legal immigration works, although that's now the new claim being made by the lawyers. They're trying to come legally by going into a port of entry and claiming asylum. They're not entitled to asylum. The great majority of those applications are denied and the rest are abandoned by the applicant. What has been lost in this shuffle, what has been lost in this discussion, by design, this isn't an accident, is that to really come to America legally, those aliens should be getting visas. But, of course, they can't get visas because many of them either are abjectly poor, so they would become public charges, a ground for exclusion, or they've been previously deported, a ground for exclusion, or they have criminal histories, a ground for exclusion, or they are involved with terrorism, a ground for exclusion, or they're involved with narco-trafficking, another ground for exclusion. So suddenly... What we're witnessing is an evolution in the way that we perceive legal immigration. Coming into a port of entry and making a bogus claim for political asylum is not lawful immigration. It's a scam. It's fraud. And the 9-11 Commission was crystal clear that immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. Ironically, the very first time I testified before a congressional hearing, was on May 20th, 1997. The topic of the hearing 
was visa fraud and immigration applications benefits fraud. And that was in 97, and the hearing was called because of the two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993. Kansi, a Pakistani national, um, had his courier service. He had applied for asylum, and um, he was working as a courier, pulled into the CIA parking lot in Virginia, opened fire with an AK-47, killed two CIA officers and wounded three or four others and fled the country. One month later, we had the first bombing at the Trade Center that killed six, injured over 1,000, <coughs> damn near toppled the building sideways. I don't want to imagine what the casualty count would have been had they succeeded in actually toppling the tower. So it took the Republicans, not the Democrats, but when the Republicans came to power, they held a hearing. And I was called to that hearing. And, of course, just a year or two later, the Clinton administration implemented two things. Number one, the motor voter law. We could see what that leads to, illegal aliens voting. And the other thing that it leads to um, is Citizenship USA, CUSA, where they naturalized more than 1.1 million new citizens. And they rushed the applications through the system so quickly, often before fingerprints even came back, that immigration employees went to internal affairs and said there's fraud being foisted on the American people. They went to the Office of Inspector General and they said there's malfeasance here. The investigation disclosed that there were thousands and thousands of aliens who should have been deported who were instead naturalized, but somehow they couldn't make a clear case that there, there was political motivation. Wow. What can I say? But the point of the matter is we know immigration fraud is a very big problem. It was identified, as I say, of the method of entry of choice of the terrorists by the 9-11 Commission. And the judge is ignoring the commission. He's ignoring the law. He's ignoring everything. And when he said the president doesn't have the authority to do what he does beyond the Constitution, I would direct his attention to either Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182F, and the federal statutes, or if you go to the Immigration and Nationality Act, specifically Section 212F, it says the following. Now listen carefully. It's entitled Suspension of Entry or the Imposition of Restrictions by President. Whenever the President finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, Think, by the way, how low a standard that is, <laughs> detrimental to the interests. What does that even mean? He, that is the president, may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or of any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, even if they have green cards, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem to be appropriate. That law has been on the books since 1952. It was used by Jimmy Carter when the Iranians overran our embassy in Tehran. It was used in a controlled or small way by Presidents Obama and George W. Bush. Clearly, the president does have the authority. And clearly, the president has a mandate to protect national security and public safety. And you can't do that without securing the borders. Border security is national security. So this mess in Mexico will continue. We'll keep an eye on it. But understand what's at stake. This isn't about being anti-immigrant if you say they shouldn't be getting in. It's about being concerned about national security and the future of America, and as a consequence, the future of our children and their children. Please get involved, folks. Part of being a good parent means that we look out for the future of our children, and we certainly look out for the future of their children, our grandchildren. We have to get involved. Elections may be over, but, you know, we go to restaurants. We're very specific about the food that we want to eat and the way that we want it prepared. We need to be no less specific when we deal with our elected representatives, because, as I always like to say, democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope you have a fabulous weekend. I hope you continue to enjoy the celebrations of this festive Thanksgiving weekend. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night.